Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a very midfield podcast. We've been uh, absent for a little while because my internet was fucking broken, and it was well, great. getting giga blasted by Cox. I think was the terminology that you used. Yes, uh, g- yes, giga blasted by Cox is is what happened. So uh, we've we have missed our September fifteenth launch date, but th- that's okay. It's- it's fine. It's we only fine. missed three races, so that's look, fine. We're just right, going to cover all of them. If you're first all the time, you're not in the midfield, are you? All right. So, so, so it's, that's, it's a very midfield podcast. It's oh, not a very first place P1 podcast, or else you'd not be listening because I'd be well known or more popular yeah, God, or liked. God forbid we were on top of our shit. It wouldn't be brand worthy. No, so no, anyway, no, that'd be stupid. Uh, my, my name is Colberto. That guy from the previous podcast, and that's Mr. Nick, just to introduce ourselves because somebody forgot to do that. I didn't forget. I was distracted by someone talking about Giga Blasting and Cox, which are probably <laughs> my two least favorite things, uh, despite what other people I work with may tell you. Anywho, so we missed we missed a lot of shit. We had the end of the summer break. We had yep. um some sort of crossover water sporting rowing uh sailing event in the the uh, exciting belgium grand prix yes uh complete with a water feature which was the entire track and um some cars drove and then points were given to people (laughs) because they were there (laughs) i mean yeah we'll talk about that and then uh, a bunch of Dutch people all rode their bicycles to watch uh, Max Verstappen drive a black and red car really fast around an orange track. And orange, there were orange a lot, Sir Orange. And uh, we had um, Sebastian Vettel uh, also yeah. at the Netherlands. And then, then just as we thought that we were going to just kind of cruise back into the groove of like some excitement here and there, uh, Monza happened, and, yeah, yeah. and Verstappen decided that he was going to win the championship by killing his <laughs> rival. Geez, <laughs> spoiler he's, alert, Nick. God. He sank to the level of Lewis by trying to kill Lewis. Wow. Who has well. arguably been trying to kill <laughs> Verstappen this entire time. Look, this is a, this is a tightly... Fo- Look, if, if you don't... As long as there is space, the corner, you go for the corner if there is the space... That's what Arton Senna said, and he was the god of NASCAR or whatever. So we should yeah. probably continue. Well, uh, no, so, nobody sends a turn or sends it up the copes. And uh, in the words of Luffy, <laughs> I'll fucking do it again. <laughs> so, well, th- these guys clearly think they're playing with bumper cars, but we'll we'll get into that. Um, we'll get it. We'll, we so, will get into that. So, fans, thank you again for joining us. Um, we are gonna start, I think, with. Uh, Belgium, which With probably won't last long. Belgium the, Grand Prix. The so, thrilling. Do you like the color gray and rain? Boy, howdy. So Spa Franco Shops is for you. Going into the weekend, uh, it there was a exciting weather report, which said that there was going to be a high chance of rain on qualifying day and an even higher chance of rain on race day. And if you're new to this, rain typically leads to pretty exciting races because it kind of throws the field up. Different drivers are better in the rain. You use different tires for it. There's uh, there's a lot of variables that get thrown in, and it kind of switches up the field. So everyone's like, rain, cool, which was, you know, a monkey's paw finger going down. People were getting all excited <laughs> about that. 
uh, well, rain was the principal factor for the Hungara ring being such an incredible race. We had, we had the crash at the start. Um, that's true. You, and you see, uh, it was mentioned that, um, as you said, certain drivers do better in the rain. Yuki Sonoda, uh, having grown up in Japan and learned to race in Japan, typically very wet tracks there. So, uh, someone who is not always at the front of the pack actually kind of being placed into an environment where they're arguably more experienced than the other guys on the grid, despite being a newer driver. So a lot of, a lot of fun dynamics can happen there. Um, unless it's just torrential downpouring rain that red flags the race for literally well, the entire race. But well, before we get to that, there was rules. what turned out to be the actual race, which was qualifying. Yes. And qualifying was uh, on a day where the rain just started getting progressively worse throughout qualifying. People were going out on wet tires and trying to set fast laps. I think everybody was on intermediates. Um, and they, they roll through the sessions. Uh, the real highlight of it was when they got to Q3, the third qualifying session, top 10 shootout. Yeah. Uh, it starts deluging down onto the track. And mm -hmm. at this point, Lando Norris in his papaya colored McLaren is yes. flying. And he has been topping the time sessions uh, going into this, and he's looking like, wow, uh, McLaren might get pole position at a race for the first time in a billion years. Like, archaeologists found their last pole position, I heard. Oh, yeah. Over wow. an old track. So, fellow named Indiana. He goes flying up uh, towards a turn called Radion and uh, loses traction. And before this, a bunch of drivers, including notably Sebastian Vettel, are saying, like, we should red flag this session. We should stop because mm -hmm. this is super scary and we're hydroplaning all over the place. Mm -hmm. um, they don't. And Nor uh, Norris has a very <laughs> scary... <laughs> a very scary... Short answer, they don't do that. Yeah, they don't do that. Um, he has a very scary and fast crash up into Radion, and it's the same spot where uh, a man named Antoine Hubert was killed last year in F2 uh, during the F2, uh, I think, the feature race, mm -hmm. um, which was super a big deal. Uh, and um, Vettel, yeah, gets on the radio Vettel gets on the radio immediately and starts screaming about how, like, I told him this would happen, what's going on, like, you know, what the fuck. He mm -hmm. stops, and Norris is fine. What it does do is pops him down to P10. Um uh, and then, and so, then, a, ooh, ooh, I was yeah. going to say, I, I'm, no, not gonna, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to spoil the punch because I think you were just about to get there. No, 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 no. You, you take it away. Because, because we're, I think, going to talk about a, a young man that maybe slides under the radar a lot. Oh, some, oh really? It slides under the radar for some people. <laughs> some call him the stealth racer, the, oh, the oh, B2 they? of the listings, if you will. <laughs> uh, a man named, named, uh, Mr. Russell, are we familiar you know with Mr. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy that you brought him up after forgetting he existed in F1 last time. Okay, look, that's just it's he's cursed. He's been cursed by some sort of eldritch <laughs> god to be forgotten, and I don't know why. I mean, it's it's oh. awful because he's a nice man, but <laughs> but he gets well, his comeuppance. Well, he does because where does he place? Well, he, he almost he so in quali, the track starts to dry up a bit after the deluge, and of course Norris is super duper out because his car est up broken. But uh, then we have uh, Mr. Russell start flying 
around the track super fast in a Williams, which a Williams was like super back marker uh, just a season or two ago. And I am and, really confused about how they're not that anymore, but boy, howdy, am I liking it. Oh, it's great. Uh, and he starts putting up a pole position and he has provisional pole and he's coming back and he's feeling great about himself. And it's like a Williams is going to take pole position in a formula one race. And then in the background, like a fucking villain, Max Verstappen just goes, <laughs> are you sure about that? <laughs> oh, and he gets the last flying lap after the flag, you know, just manages to make it pass before the time goes out and just happens to pip George Russell's time. But George Russell in a Formula One Grand Prix is starting P2 with its uh, Verstappen at pole. Russell second place, followed by Lewis Hamilton. And Nick, tell us about the exciting race that occurred based on that standing. Based on that standing, the drivers went to the grid. They started their engines. And then then they did their formation lap. And and then they returned to the pits <laughs> for for a for a while. For, forever. Like a few hours. Like, like for the rest of the race. And the rest of the race was uh, Sky uh, opening the uh, archaic tome known as the F1 rulebook. <laughs> and uh, man, we could really d- jump into the weeds on rules on this one, couldn't we? Because we th- th- so they they talked about the uh, they talked about the window in which the race is considered started, like when cars are allowed to add fuel or when they take um, laps off the race to account for fuel already spent. Cause they had like what uh, three, maybe four times where they went out and did laps in the car behind a safety car and then just went right back into the pits. Yeah. So, so at that point the race technically hadn't started because they were still on a formation lap. So right. the, uh, they never lights out. They, you know, like Crofty always goes, oh, lights out and away we go. And right. lights out is when the race officially begins. Yes. But they have a race window mm-hmm. that is, I think Crofty said, uh, three like hours. hours. It's a four yeah. hour window and they have three or two and a half hours within the scheduled window to complete the race. Yeah. And then it's, uh, if it gets too late, the race doesn't go off of laps, it goes off of time. And at the end of the time, whatever lap they're on when that time stops, that's the final lap. And then whatever position you finish in, you finish in. Yep. Um, Danny Ricciardo entered the Twilight Zone and gave the same interview, I think, three times. <laughs> that was uh, the weirdest thing. That just... It was. And he just, he, it was, I thought that I experienced a glitch in the Matrix because he just, he did it so deadpan. Like so he just Nick, he he just rehashed the same thing twice, and I'm laying there, and I'm like I'm on the couch, and I'm like, what? Well, hang on a minute, I just I just heard this. What is happening to my brain? Am I having a strong? What's what? so, so Nick and I are both watching this on F1 TV, and I think it does like F1 TV and then the Sky Sports coverage as well. Right. So like, and then they don't know what to do because they're just spinning their tires. You know, no pun intended, in the commentary box forever, <laughs> like watching the go-kart race at the track and trying to commentate on that. It was weird. And finally, like, Danny Rick walks up to someone and gives an interview about, like, well, you know, this is about the race, blah, 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 all this stuff. 
then immediately goes to the other presenter that we're also hearing and gives the same interview again. It's both of them are broadcast to us, and it was oh, oh yeah, man, it was wacky. He even like walked away to act like he was <laughs> walking back up to her for the first time. I was really confused, dude. It hurt my brain. It was not. It was not good. But this it is, was very so, funny. So this the, it was that. If you're wondering what you missed, if you didn't watch this race. <laughs> It was that and a lot of shots of people in raincoats uh, that were, I would assume, incredibly drunk dancing to house music. Um, yeah, I think uh, since Sebastian Vettel and uh, Mick Schumacher were playing like catch in the pit lane. Yeah, yeah, there was, uh, uh, I think, um, I think I saw Carlos Sainz tossing the ball around. Yeah, as well. The drivers were just like hanging out with each other. They should have put out a barbecue at some point. Yeah, I saw a good bit of hot chocolate get passed around. Um, now was oh was was that, was that the, race? the race where uh, was it Sergio Perez's car where Red Bull fixed it and it was supposed to be like a five or yes. a six hour fix? Let's yep. talk about that because that shit was incredible. So Perez came out, Red Bull has a, a knack for doing this, but I think it was during the formation lap, I think, where, yeah, it was, where uh, Sergio Perez uh, ended up when this is when they're going to red flag the race. So the track yeah. is just a, it, it's a, it's a slip and slide and Perez goes off track, has a not tremendously fast crash, but fast enough that it damages his car to the point where he's not going to be able to participate in the race. And he had a, fairly decent qualifying position so like that sucks and they bring it back to the pits and red bull starts asking questions once the race is red flagged like hey if we're gonna be here for a while can we fix the car and it turns out that under red flag conditions you can perform certain repairs on the car you can't change anything on the car if you replace things it has to be well, with the same it's parts. um it's also they can't get outside help so yes. whatever they're going to change, they have to be able to change right there in their garage, which all the uh, all the cars have garages at all these facilities where they can, you know, they've got like a lift and tools and all that kind of stuff where they can basically dock the car and, and do maintenance on it. Um, but Mercedes is like profoundly confused by this because let's let's be fair, you know, Mercedes and Ferrari and they're they're well known for their engineering and mechanical know-how and then you have the red bull team who i assume is just maybe wearing skin patches under the helmet of pure cocaine i don't know what they feed those so, guys something that <laughs> always made outrageous. me happy about, something that always made me happy about nascar was if you had like a body you know you you damaged body work or whatever You'd come in, and they'd be sledgehammering the car, and they'd be putting 200-mile-an-hour tape on it to keep it all together. And mm -hmm. uh, in the in the previous race of the Hungaro Ring, when Valtteri Botas started his bowling league, uh, yes. when they brought back the car to fix it, I couldn't help but notice that they were pulling out that NASCAR 200-mile-an-hour tape mm -hmm. and keeping it to the side. So, like, God bless those guys at Red Bull and how quickly they can turn around repairs on cars. Not the first time they've done it. They fixed no. uh, Verstappen's car for a race uh, when he crashed on a formation lap. And they fixed that in like 15 minutes uh, with a front-end uh, repair. And now they fixed Sergio's car for uh, a race that they thought was going to happen. Yep, I Toto was... Oh, what was it Toto called 
the F1 guys. And he was like, well, you know, I just, uh, I don't know about uh, fixing. This is rather unusual. <laughs> Toto's my favorite. Like, I love Mr. Businessman. He's great. Oh, he's, I sent uh, you an email. All right, let's not go back to that. Anyways, we're, we're diverging. So I, um, I also think this is the race where, I don't remember if it was this or the previous one, where uh, Hamilton's in the car and he's getting ready to go out. And then he hops out of the car and they're like, what's Hamilton doing? And he runs over to like the Porta John and he's trying to use the bathroom before he gets back <laughs> in the car. He's got to wait in line and, and uh, they let him skip the line to the front, right? And he gets in and he does his business. He comes out and he's like, maybe I shouldn't have done that. The last person in there really like laid it out. And he tells the press. It's so good. Wow. <laughs> oof. Big oof. Oh, champion like of the world. Yep, sir. Worth Lewis like a Hamilton. gillion dollars is using the shitty porta potty. Oh, yeah, hey, well, you know, I mean, you got to do what you got to do, man. It's, it, Sometimes glory lays all men low, I guess. But uh, so we so had, um, hey, you know, it, it'd be like that sometimes. Um, so we, what else? I'm trying to think. There's, there's well, really not a lot that happened. So there's really not a lot of places to dwell here. Um, but there, there's one important thing to bring up rules wise, which is mm, if a race doesn't pass half distance, you right. get half points, which exactly. means you get a weird phenomenon where Called instead of 25 points for winning, you would get 12 and a half points. And those half points will follow you the entire rest of the season. They and sure apparently will. the FIA decided, damn it, we're here. We're going to get people classified in this race. Oh, yes. So, uh, so congrats to George Russell on his uh, first ever P2. <laughs> Uh, it's like he earned in quality. Uh, they so and classification is also really funny because they do a classification lap and all the cars well, go out. You need to complete at least two laps under race condition, and the way they got away with it is uh, they did a pit lane start, which means instead of lining up on the grid and having lights out and away we go. When the safety car leaves the pit lane for the cars to go around, that's lights out. It is technically mm. a race lap when they go out onto the track. There is no out lap. Okay. Or something like that. It was, it was weird the way that they did it, but they snuck it in where technically there were three laps of the race that occurred. And then they went back into the pits and just retired. And they're like, yeah, yeah we're going to like pack everything up we're going to dutch land we're getting our clogs on right so um that's basically the race there's there's a lot of things we could delve into here if if uh you are valued listeners would like um we're gonna this podcast is going to be spent talking a lot about catching up in the season uh but uh we'll talk more of this uh we'll we'll remind you guys at the end but uh, we want to know kind of where else you guys want to go. So like Spa is a really good example of an opportunity to talk about the rules of F1. And um, there are plenty of rules. Believe me, uh, there's room to talk about, you know, classification and maintenance rules and track rules and all that kind of stuff. So, so, so to pull the, the, of, the, oh, yeah, yeah. 
to pull the curtain back a little bit as to our plans before Nick got giga blasted by Cox is uh, the next because Spa was such a washout. Uh, yeah. We were going to turn. Got him. <laughs> we were going to make this next podcast kind of a more of an intro podcast to the sport and give you all some rules, but. Uh, because this was one of F1's rare triple headers, and we managed to miss every one of those heads, we're taking this opportunity to just catch up on all of the heads, and then maybe the next one or a subsequent one, we'll we'll get more into the rules. Absolutely, absolutely. So, spot done and dusted. Uh, we have uh, Verstappen, Russell, and Hamilton podiuming and uh, and scoring half points uh, as everyone <laughs> else does. Danny's in fourth. Old biggest dickus Danny Rickus. Yeah, the man with the legend. So he's been in a bit of a slump lately, and this becomes relevant later on. Uh where has, has uh, he? the the story of Sir Danny Rick is he started out as a Red Bull driver, um getting onto the team and pairing uh it wasn't Max at first. I forget exactly who it was. Uh anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh Actually, it might have been Vettel either way. So he gets on the team, and he's been with Red Bull forever. And then one young Max Verstappen gets on the team. And mm. Danny's a fast driver, and Max is a fast driver. And Max right. is like Christian Horner's unadopted son. So Max is getting all the special treatment. Danny decides, I think I'm done here. I want to move to a team where like I can be number one. So he leaves to go to a little team called Renault, which is now known as Alpine. And right. Renault sells him the world and goes, you're going to come in here. You're going to develop the car. We got a good engine. We're going to punch our way back up. We finished fourth, like in the grand, you know, in the championship a little bit ago. We're a team on the rise. Come in here and ride this wave with us. And he comes in and they shit their pants a little bit and <laughs> they don't really do super well. And Danny's having trouble getting his, uh, his head around the car. Cause it's a different, like the, all these cars look very much the same when you're looking at them at a distance, but right. they are extremely different in terms of the characteristics of how they actually drive around the track. Um, so you can't just like hop from a Mercedes to a Red Bull, or in this case, a Red Bull to a Renault, and drive oh, yeah. it the same way and expect the same results because they're very knife edge with how they're set up. Uh, and moving through it, he stays there for two seasons, uh, decides that things aren't moving fast enough for him, the, then the Red Bull that he had left is now really fast. And it's blistering. It would have been a, yeah, it's it's catching up to the Mercedes real quick. And uh, it's like, well, did you make a mistake leaving Red Bull? And he's like, I don't think so. Uh. So now he's on Renault. He cancels, he rips up his contract with Renault. Uh, and this is all started because of a driver move. Carlos Sainz was on McLaren, he moved to Ferrari. And then uh, Danny Rick's like, ooh, seat at another team. And McLaren is kind of the teams that Renault promised it would be. It's actually on the rise. Their guys are getting faster. Lando Norris is kind of pushing that team ahead. And Carlos Sainz, as his, sec uh, his other driver on the team, uh, is doing really well. And they're constantly competing to see who's better. So Carlos leaves the seat. Danny jumps into that seat. Uh, like before Carlos, you know, it's still warm from when Carlos was in it. Uh, and that's right. how uh, sort of Fernando Alonso sneaks back into the sport, into Alpine. This season hits, and it's like, wow, Danny's now in a, a competitive car again. And Danny can't get his head around the car. He's having a lot of trouble figuring it out. He's not performing as well as he uh, wanted to. He's always in the backfield. And annoyingly, the now Alpines, formerly Renaults, 
are doing really well and are yeah. eating their lunch in a lot of ways. And, and it, uh, it's. It really surprised me too this whole season because I, having seen Danny drive last season, I was like, oh man, they're putting him in a McLaren. That's going to be, that's going to be fucking speedy. Like, let's go. I'm ready for this. And all season consistently, not even like struggling to even get in the points. Well, well the trouble is, it's not hard. Sorry. Time. I misspoke. It's not the McLarens that are having trouble getting to the points. It's Danny, it's Danny. because Lando Norris is fast, but he's also yes. had what three seasons in that car before this. So right, Lando is he's young, he's quick, he's one of the best drivers on the grid, and he is putting that McLaren into competitive places. And the whole hope is that Danny's going to be there right with him, and he's just not. Yep. Um, short break. Shameless plug. Uh, if anyone listening to this podcast knows Danny Rick or is able to get in touch with him, if he joins us on this podcast, <laughs> I will I will let Danny Rick put a tattoo of his choosing damn near anywhere on me. I'll even let him hold the needle if he comes on the podcast. It's a bold statement. Full sin. I am not scared. A, I'll even a do a shooty with him afterwards. Unlike, unlike his we'll favorite Finnish driver, Danny, I can offer you <laughs> fresh tattoos and a shoey. Who else? Where are you going to get that deal? Nowhere. That's where. All right. Think about it. If you know Danny, reach out to him. I'm just saying. Call your people. Call his people. I'm sure these the zero listeners out of the three that exist. According <laughs> to according to our metrics, all all f- like thirty of our individual listeners are just <laughs> picking their phones up and speed dialing old Danny Rick because they uh, all just... fucking know him. <laughs> but to, uh, to be continued. <laughs> hey, look, I'm gonna don't act like I'm not gonna add him on Twitter later. It's it's gonna happen. I'm I'm fucking yeah, I telling. Know, him. I, I know you will. Because Danny, oh, don't Rick worry. Has, there, there may be. The, the, I was mean, just going to say he's got the time to get on a plane and and fly to the East Coast yeah. of the United States just on a fucking yeah. whim to be on a podcast. Anywho, moving 100%. right along. Uh, I definitely won't try to think of something equally stupid to do for a driver to get onto the the podcast. So stay tuned. Certainly uh, not. That would never happen. Why would, would never, we? we no. <laughs> why no, would thanks. we debase ourselves for your amusement? That sounds preposterous and cheap. So anyway, the Dutch decided <laughs> to stop building water wheels uh, long enough to build a racetrack, and everyone yes. went to it. Yep, yep. Uh, so we went from what a great segue, uh, papaya orange and McLaren to papaya orange the country. Oh um, my god! Welcome, welcome to Tulos bicycles and orange, and a uh, race that I don't know, man. I don't know about you, but it just it didn't really like. It it happened too much it for definitely me. Definitely happened. It it felt so. This is what um, people who watch F one a lot will call a strategy race, and that is uh-huh. code for a lot didn't like not very much happened. Uh, we can actually plow through this one even quicker than Belgium because it's just not as interesting. Uh, yeah, Gasly Gasly was good. Gasly ended up P four in the Alpha Tauri. Gasly's uh, former Red Bull driver that got demoted for Alex Albon, who's going to become relevant later. Yep. To go into that car, and then Helmut Marco's chopping block decided that he was not, you are not performing as well as I expected. And he just chops his head off, 
and then yeah. they threw Sergio in the car. Who is because you should sure. you should never be concerned about a guy named Helmut Marco, who is a Helmut, doctor. No, for, yeah, Doctor Helmut Marco. Yeah, he's been Doctor Helmut Marco. Uh, oh, terrifying. He, he has the name of, sounds like, and looks like a James Bond villain, and yeah, he really runs does. The driver program. Oh yeah, that's uh, right. He's like this really like kind of like heavy set German dude that wears suits everywhere and is basically. Uh, just generally a Bond villain, and you can't see this on the podcast. But when Colberto and I do this video, do this, we we video chat so that we're not talking over each other. And Colberto is very adorably holding his cat like a little itty bitty baby with his little she, tiny adorable socks and mittens. I know this is an F one. She wouldn't podcast, stop bugging but... me. She wouldn't stop bugging me. So now she has to be held because that's what now she likes. Yep. Now it's so, snuggle time. Anyways, now it's snuggle um, time. Back to the people who put their thumbs in leaking things. Um, I just, just like so, Helmut Marco, I'm just imagining. Like, <laughs> what do you, do you expect me to talk, Mister Marco? No, Max, I expect you to win. God, no, <laughs> no, Mister Gasly, I expect you to finale. <laughs> so, um, we speaking of Sminala, uh, <laughs> poor Sebastian had a Sminala incident. So, the um, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, the uh, Zandvoort track is actually fairly unique in that it has pretty aggressively um, banked turns, which I think is it's not the only track that, one. yeah, the, it's uh, it's a thing that happened. A while ago with aggressive uh, banking at Indy, which mm-hmm. was famously terrible. <laughs> uh, the the race. So fun fact: um, the Belgium Grand Prix. Oh no, what was it? Uh, I think it's the Belgium Grand Prix. Is the only Grand Prix to have less drivers start? No, there's some oh, stat here. Yeah, I forgot about this. Thank you. I was going to bring that yeah. up. So. Um... I, uh, a young lady that I know who's also into racing uh, is, is I'm helping her get into F1. And um, she was like, uh, there, there seems like there's a lot of races or, or there's, there's a lot of wrecks in these races. I was like, well, y- yeah, I mean, it's pretty aggressive. It's pretty fast. And uh, uh, spa is the 11th. The 11th, let this sink in for a second. The 11th race ever in all of Formula One where no drivers had a DNF or did not finish. Oh. Yeah. How's that for some shit? And how long has Formula... Yeah, 11 races out of the entire history of F1. 70 years. Seventy-one years. Go! Oh my god! These people are mad lads. You know what I'm saying? I did like, not know uh, that. Yeah. So there's a neat little factoid for you, um, which plays into, of course, uh, Sebastian's incident of spin. But um, for those of you who are not accustomed to the the notion of having a banked track like you see in NASCAR, is that you can uh, and feel free to call me if I'm getting this horribly wrong, Colberto. Uh, you can. Mm-hmm bring more speed into the turn because the bank lets you basically act kind of like a fighter. You can kind of turn some of that energy into, uh, into, I guess, rotational energy, but because the track is banked up, the car kind of goes up on the bank. The force of the car going outward into the turn pulls it into the bank. 
and then the driver can stay on the gas, which uh, permits a, a faster turn. And typically, from what I've seen, a banked turn is also a wider turn. So I suppose it also is intended to promote a little bit of overtaking to keep things interesting. Yeah, the, the first part's right. The second part is was ambitious. Uh, what we actually kind of saw at Zandvoort on that turn is people didn't really know how to attack it because it was the first time in a long time that there's been a bank turn there. The F1 has a good video about it where it just shows that drivers were taking all kinds of different lines through it, trying to find like the best way around or the best way right. for their style to do it. We didn't really get a lot of action there. Like It was neat seeing the cars at an angle going through that corner, but uh, I, if they were expecting that to be a party piece to really provide some, a lot of drama... It didn't, didn't work out too well. And Zandvoort doesn't seem like it's a very easy track to overtake on. It seems like a lot of it is really fairly narrow. Yeah, we have a guy who uh, will probably end up being on here at some point named Flop, who is uh, another F1 watcher of our little group. And he said that uh, when he races it in like games and stuff, the thing that struck him is that, especially for like a modern F1 car, it is it looks wide on TV, is extremely narrow. Mm, yeah, so... Um... We have we are after this race in the current season, but um, Monaco is is famous for being very narrow yeah. track. It's it's built actually in the streets of Monaco, and it was built for F one cars way back in the day. Uh, the current ones are way too wide, and there's just literally um, not even. You could put Hamilton and Verstappen on that track all day, and neither of them will find a way to do anything but wreck each other. Uh, there, there's just <laughs> There is one turn complex, one turn complex in that entire track where overtaking ever happens. That's it. So basically the start order is the finish order unless someone kisses a wall. It's the Monaco parade lap. It's it's a it's a joke nowadays, but it's a historic race. Ah, I mean, you know, I guess guess last time Valtteri had his three day long pit stop, but, you know. Oh, ah, yes, that. Uh, So (laughs) if you're not familiar, uh, there is a... uh, so the reason that um, F1 quick stops, part of the reason that they're so incredibly fast is you have two guys, three guys per tire. You've got one dude yep. that takes the old tire off. You got one guy with the gun and you got another guy with the new tire. So gun off on gun. Car leaves. Um, well, it, as it turns out, uh, the gun is quite powerful, uh, as you might imagine, for, for uh, securing a wheel onto a car that does the kinds of things that an F1 car does. And um, was it the, the failure was on the bolt. Is that correct? It, the, the gun yeah. sheared the head of the bolt off. Yeah. It, it um, I forget exactly the terminology they used, but they polished it. So they, they didn't have any purchase surface on it or surface to gain purchase on. They put the gun in and spun it and effectively just grinded off all of the edge that they would have gripped onto. So as a mechanic, what's, what's going on correctly. there? is the, the head of that bolt, if you can imagine the hubcap on your car, that's there's a bolt there. And uh, if you can imagine just like uh, a socket set, so you've got the, the teeth on the, uh, we'll call it um, the male end of the bolt that you're going to take off whatever, and then you've got the socket, which is the female end. And uh, basically what has happened is the metal is not rigid enough uh it's or the metallurgy is too soft. You put that rivet gun on there, and if you don't get a very tight seal, and then you pull the trigger, 
uh, you will abrade that metal to just a smooth surface. And that's what they did. And once you do that, um, you have to do a lot of crazy stuff like uh, drill out the center of the bolt, rethread it, and then take it off, which, as you can imagine, is not a um, like three second operation that you would have in a pit stop. It's a, uh, as Colberto said, it's it's more like a three day kind of thing. So uh, yeah, it's not it's not coming off. So uh, Ma, uh, in Monaco, Valtteri had that happen. He went in for a pit stop, tried to swap out some tires, and they stripped the head off that bolt and he was just, he just kind of stayed there. I was, he was just there for forever. Yeah. It was 43 hours and they called it machining the metal away from the teeth of the wheel nut rather than connecting. Yep. And they had to bring it go. back to the factory to get it off. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Ouch. Yeah. That's harsh. Oopsie so, doodle. <laughs> oops, oopsie doodles. Indeed. So um, <clears throat> anyway, that's what happened there. Uh, bringing it back. Uh, so that's, you know, the only, it's the only fun you can have in Monaco watching someone machine their wheels to smoothness. <laughs> um, so in the, in the Dutch Grand Prix was really cool to see, uh, the crowd reaction. Cause this is, you know, we're, we're fresh out of COVID and the pandemic and it's really nice to see the, um, the crowd and, and to watch, Max Verstappen win uh, a Grand Prix in his home country, you know, with his with his fellow countrymen, and to see their reaction, you know, blowing the stands up and the red or the orange smoke everywhere. That that, that was pretty cool. I enjoyed the moment. There was uh, also two other things to just bring up real quick for that race before we move on. Is uh, Sergio Perez, the other Red Bull driver, had a uh, I called it a stinky poo poo Q one. He mm, yes. There was a misjudgment uh, on his part, on the pit walls part, on everything, where he did not start his uh, final flying lap before he uh, the time ended. So he uh, he did not get a good lap in before that, and as such was knocked out in. Uh, I'm not even sure if we talked about this. There's three qualifying sessions in Formula One, 20 drivers on the grid. First session, they knock out the bottom five. Second session, they knock out the next bottom five. And the third session, it's a top 10 shootout. And the Red Bulls are, you know, Q1, Q2, Q3. And the Red Bulls are perennial Q3 uh, yep. attendees. Like, they always make mm -hmm. it up there. But this this faux pas meant that uh, Mr. Perez in the second Red Bull was out in Q3 and as such had a hell of a time during the race. I think he finished like P8, but he had to punch his way up the field uh, to do it where he should have been up in the mix in the beginning. The second yeah. one is uh, one Kimi Raikkonen uh, caught the coup. So Ooh, he yes, tested positive he did. For COVID. Yep, he tested positive for the COVID and uh, they needed a replacement driver. And Polish superstar Robert Kubica, Bobby K, uh, oh, was yeah. on hand as their, uh, their driver for a wild card. And he came in, Bobby Kay, uh, old. I don't know F1. anything about this man. So he was a racer back in the day, uh, back when I used to watch it um, when I was in like, college and stuff. I actually was at the race that I went to um, in in uh, Canada. And mm. he was fast. Um, first Polish driver in a long time. And he was on the fast track uh, on the season that uh, before an accident had occurred he was going to be brought up to Ferrari. He was going to be a Ferrari F1 driver. And unfortunately, I forget exactly how it happened, but he had gotten into an accident outside of the sport. It wasn't an F1 accident uh, that ended up 
uh, partially paralyzing him on one Holy side of his body. Shit. Really? Yeah. Yep. Damn. So uh, one side of his body just doesn't work very well anymore. And he thought, like, I'm out of racing. That's it. I'm done. But he's been uh, working at it and getting, you know, you know, physical therapy, all that kind of stuff, and getting back to a place where he can race. Um, famously, last season, the season beforehand, he came back to Williams, and he was actually mm-hmm. pairing George Russell on Williams uh, oh. for a bit as the second driver in F1, and it was uh, the longest uh, time out of the sport where a driver had come back, uh, I think. Don't quote me on that one. But he managed to score a point that season. And it wow. was the longest distance between scoring points for a Formula One driver ever. So, and he has a special steering wheel too, where all the buttons are heavily uh, pushed towards the, the better working side of his body. Mm-hmm. His other hand and arm just don't work as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, super cool to see him in the sport again, uh, even if he was a perennial backmarker because the Williams was crap. And of course, he's not exactly back to the place that he was previously. Right. Um, but, Still a super valuable guy to have with his experience. So he's been working with uh, Alfa Romeo for their car um, after he left Williams. And he's back on the track replacing Kimi Raikkonen. And uh, he he did not finish last in that race, I don't believe, uh, which was pretty cool to see. Well, that's, uh, you know, hot contention for last place between uh, Mazepin and Schumacher. So <laughs> that's not a really race gotta, at all. Mazepin's always going to be last. You really got to you really got to fight Haas for those last two places. They're, oh, they're pretty stubborn don't... about that one. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Oh, ouch. Oh, my, so my, my Haas hat is just on fire right now. I'm looking yeah. At yep. Yeah, well, maybe you should just, you know, take that and throw it in the dumpster where it belongs. <laughs> well, I, I think... Uh, Besides, it's your old collie now. Listen, don't. <laughs> I don't. It hurts. Thank you. <laughs> well, so, that's okay, get... because I'm so, going to get my just desserts here pretty shortly. Well, to, to get my mind off of that for a moment, uh, congratulations, everybody. We made it. This is we're going to talk about Monza in a minute. But yeah. Beforehand, after uh, after the Dutch Grand Prix, a lot of stuff happened, and yes. a lot of stuff in the driver market. Holy so, shnikes! So we we talked about Kimi Räikkönen catching the coof. This is Kimi Räikkönen's last season in Formula One. He's also he is the driver that has done the most miles in a Formula One car ever. He is the mm-hmm. most experienced hand inside of a car, and famously, he says that he does it because it's a, it's his hobby. You know, he, he just he likes to do it at this do, point. How do you beat that? Like, like world it, champion Kimi Raikkonen. There was um, <clears throat> there was something that uh that I was that I watched. Uh, it was on the it was on the Twitter where where we have you can visit us a very midfield podcast. Uh, it was, uh, it was, he was talking a very about PC. a very midfield PC. Sorry. Um, he, uh, he like gave up a, uh, a, a championship or a Grand Prix for a teammate or something like that. Do you know anything about that? Uh, I couldn't I don't, really, a, there weren't any, there weren't any subtitles and I, I couldn't really understand him. He has a very thick accent when he speaks English. And like most Finnish people, he is incredibly soft-spoken. And uh, 
but he, he just see, I don't know. I, I'll have to look it up. It's, it, it seems like he's just a very genial, calm sort of dude. He's pretty cool, which is funny because he's pretty animated on the radio sometimes. Oh my God. Well, We'll talk about that at some other point with yeah, Kimmy, sure. Kimmy and Fernando Alonso were like duking it out to be the kings of the shit talking radio messages. Oh, man. I love it so much. Fucking legendary. Uh, so let's can I just start with my personal favorite news and the one that excites me the most about driver moves? Uh, if we're going in order of how this domino thing is falling and if that's your favorite, then sure. Uh, it's it's absolutely George Russell. Oh, so well, first of all, we have to. We you skipped a driver, Nick. Oh, look, so, I, it's okay. Look, I'm gonna let you. All right, I'm not gonna spoil I, what it I'll, is that I'll happens talk, with George I'll Russell, but the, you yeah. you talk it out. Well, it's gonna be fairly obvious here because this is a bit of a domino falling. Uh, Valtteri Bottas is the number two driver on the Mercedes team. Yes. Um, you know, best teammate ever for Lewis Hamilton. Not a lot of drama there. Uh, consistently brings home points. Fast oh. guy, uh, but. He's, did you forget about this? I forgot yeah, about, wow. about so, Toto Wolf and his burning desire to just rub Valtteri Bottas's face in, in any amount of urine that can be found oh, on wait, any surface. Oh, oh no, I forgot about what happened at fucking in, in, in the Netherlands. The oh so, no. So Lewis Hamilton was not in contention for, for first, and it was and it was obvious. So uh, the I don't think we've discussed this, but teams can get an extra point by scoring <laughs> the fastest lap. And so Valtteri, uh, <clears throat> importantly, um, what you'll do in this case, let's say that because uh, you'll get the extra point for the fastest lap. Let's say you're in a very uh, comfortable first place or a comfortable second place or a comfortable. You have to be in the top 10 in order to actually get the point for this. Right. Um, uh, you can get it. You can get the fastest lap under the top 10, but you don't get a point for it. But you will prevent someone else from getting it. Anyway, yep. uh, let's say you're in second place in a race and you have a, you've stretched out your time. You know you can do a free pit stop. What folk will do sometimes is take that pit stop get a fresh set of soft tires near the end of the race yep. and punch it chewy to get a fastest lap in. They know they're not going to be in contention for first, but they know they're going to stay in front of the people that they're, that are behind them. And exactly. that extra point then helps them in the world championship. Yep. So get some, both, get some nice fresh tires and fucking leg it. So Lewis hits during this uh, situation to get soft, to go for a fastest lap. They pit Valtteri to get soft as well but not for a fastest lap attempt because they're worried about the tire degradation and he's in another safe spot to make a free pit stop. But as I'll, I'll leave it now to they, Nick after that. They, they don't tell him this. <laughs> and, they, and they pit, if I'm not mistaken, they pit Valtteri first. Uh, yes, yes, they do. So they, they call him into the pits and they give him a just, oh man, he's a starving man. Colberto, he's a starving man. He's a hungry man. And they sit him down at the table with a nice fresh meal of perfectly cooked Pirelli softs. And he says, oh my sweet lord, I've been waiting for this for a fucking minute. And he tears out of the pits and he starts just, I mean, he starts 
eating up sectors, just eating them up. Oh. Nom 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 nom. And uh, <laughs> the the man that is a perennial black cloud over Valtteri <laughs> Bottas' career. Yeah, Valtteri uh, did. Oh no! Oh, no, no, no. Fastest lap. So it wasn't. Toto, it wasn't. It wasn't Toto. This, this, this I just like to dramatize it that from way. Toto, but uh, there's a a hot hot meme that goes around about Valtteri that uh, so he has a race engineer and that manages his race and lets him know what's going on. It's the guy on the radio that the driver talks to. Yep. The race engineers report to someone who is a uh, the team strategist. And the team strategist is the one that's kind of, you know, conning both drivers and managing the race uh, on a higher level. And uh, I don't know any other race strategist in F1, except I do know Mercedes because of this meme. <laughs> James Vowles is the strategist for Mercedes. And it if Valtteri is doing something and over the radio, you hear the opening words of Valtteri, it's James, you Oof. know that Valtteri is about to get a shit sandwich with the Mercedes logo stamped on it. Oh, yeah, and he gets them all the fucking time. And so this <laughs> poor man is tearing up the track. And they call him and they tell him, hey, uh, you need to abort your fastest lap attempt. And Valtteri is very confused because they didn't tell him why they brought him into the pits. They just gave him brand new tires at the very end of the race when it was pretty well, clear what the standing was going to be. Which typically yeah, means he started, go out and earn the fastest lap. So Valtteri started punching it, and his race engineer got on during his lap and said, "Valtteri, we pitted you for you know for tire to, just because of your vibration tires off. vibration yeah. warning is what he got." Yeah, he was he was complaining about vibrations and just said like, "Look, you're you're not going for fastest lap. Lewis is going for fastest lap. Uh, don't go for fastest lap." And he just keeps his foot in it. Why not? He's going to Because he already knows what the score is for this whole driver movement thing. And he's like, ah, fuck him. So at the end, it's, you know, Valtteri, it's James, abort the lap. And there's like panic in James Val's voice of to abort the lap. And Valtteri gets on the radio and he goes, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm just having a little fun. And he completely <laughs> aborts the third sector. Just like completely fucking with Mercedes. It was so funny. No, well, the funny part is he aborts it and then gets the fastest lap anyway. Yep. So, and but he's, he's soon overtaken by Hamilton, but yeah. But yeah, that's like right, right at that moment. Yep. James Vals, Valtteri, now, it's James. Does the does that fastest lap point go to the constructors or does it go to the drivers' championship? So good good way to talk about the way the points work really quick is uh, there are two championships in Formula One. There's the World Drivers Championship and the World Constructors Championship. And how that works is drivers earn points uh, based on how they finish during a race, from twenty five points to one point from uh, first to tenth. Yep. And everyone under tenth doesn't get dick. And apparently, well, if you have a race like Spa. You get half points for it, but that's a whole yeah. other story. Um, the every team has two drivers on it, so the two drivers on that team, or any driver that drives in your car, if you have a driver change during the season or something like that, whatever. If a driver wins a race in your car, and the constructors' championship being the team that does it, so mm -hmm. like, you know, let's say uh, Mercedes and uh, McLaren both use the same engine, but. Uh, you know, if you're in Mercedes' car, your points go to Mercedes. If you're in McLaren, it goes to McLaren. Right. So the way that that works is uh, if Lewis 
scores points and Botas scores points, those get pooled into Mercedes points. So uh, there's, uh, you know, Lewis Hamilton or it would could be uh, theoretically a driver could be leading the world drivers championship, but their team might not be leading the world constructors championship if both of their drivers aren't delivering points on a consistent basis. Yes. So the so the answer is the fastest lap goes to the driver, which in turn goes to the goes to the teams. Yeah. Now this is it's only one point, and at it this matters point, in this one. It does matter. It does matter. But here's the thing: it's one point for Valtteri or for Mercedes or for, or for uh, Hamilton, Lewis, yeah, and for Lewis. And um, the funny thing about this is, regardless of who gets it, because it's it's pretty much known that it's going to be one of the Mercedes at this point. Mercedes is going to get an extra point. Mm-hmm. But it's it doesn't matter which driver takes it. It's just Mercedes is going to be, get a better point. But Mercedes has actively chosen to say "fuck you, well, Valtteri." Lewis gets the point so that we can polish his ass. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. And this is I'll uh, this I, I want our I want our listeners to remember this because I'm going to come back to this. Because last podcast, we had a discussion about Valtteri Bottas, and I'm going to come back to that <laughs> in the next race. I'm coming I back. Think it, makes, but I, it, it, it makes sense, though. Uh, Lewis is the one that's fighting in the World Drivers Championship with Max Verstappen right now. They're very close in points. And that one point could matter for Lewis. So, like, from a strategy perspective, totally get why they uh, abandoned Valtteri's lap to go to Lewis. But from a watching perspective super funny that Valtteri is just like dicking with them right now. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. But but to get back to the the driver standings is Valtteri's been on the team for I think like 5 seasons now uh with mm-hmm. Lewis and he's and uh the reason why he was hired in the first place was because uh and we may have talked about this in the previous one so I'll keep it brief. Uh the previous guy was Nico Rosberg and Rosberg and Hamilton really good friends get into the team together become really big rivals. They don't even want to talk to each other. And there's a lot of contention in the team and a lot of just like bad juju. So uh, Russell or uh, Nico Rosberg retires after he wins the World Drivers' Championship one year. He's a world champion. He leaves. Botas is brought in as a steady hand that's not going to rock the boat and be fast. And he does. And he's been doing it. And he's been consistent. But Mercedes is up against Red Bull and other teams like Ferrari and McLaren that mm-hmm. all have very young drivers they've brought into their drivers programs who are fast as hell. And Lewis mm-hmm. is not a spring chicken anymore. Lewis is thirty in his mid thirties, and there's a retirement on the horizon for him at some point. He's won like seven championships or something, right? So yes. they need to bring in someone to learn from him. They need to bring in someone who is going to be the Mercedes driver going into the next you know, the next 10 seasons and start bringing home that kind of stuff and developing the team. And it's plainly clear that Valtteri is not going to be that driver. So well, Valtteri's Valtteri, in the same age group, isn't he? Uh, Maybe even a little older. Um, no, I think Valtteri's, Valtteri's younger than Lewis. He's in his early 30s, I think. I don't know exactly. Uh, yeah, but, he's 30, 32, looks like. Yeah, so uh, Valtteri... 
gets uh, told by Mercedes that after the season, your services are no longer required, but they keep it under wraps. It's, uh, it's plainly obvious he's not going to be on the team anymore. Mercedes, though, mm-hmm. wants to do him a solid, and they don't want to announce that he's off the team until they can negotiate a deal with another team to get him on there. All of a sudden, Kimi Raikkonen bows out. He's leaving Alfa Romeo. They strike up a deal with Alfa Romeo, and Botas is now uh, a driver for Alfa Romeo because we don't even know if Giovinazzi is going to be on the team next season. But he gets it's confirmed between uh, the two races, uh, rather uh, Clogland and then Monza, that he's <laughs> going to be on uh, Alfa Romeo as their driver. Right. So they're replacing a Finn with a Finn. Yeah, let's. Uh, I, do their cars not but, work but, if there's not a Finn driving one of them? I mean, there there was an old expression in racing: if you want to win, employ a Finn. They're fast. Fair, you know. I like that saying. That's a good one. Um, so that opens up Valtteri's seat, and uh, who the whoever most unexpected thing in the universe? The, yes, there was a there was a news article somewhere. I scrolled across it in my feed, and it was. It was so laced with sarcasm. I just wanted to like reach out to the person that wrote it and be like, "Who hurt? Who hurt you? Who hurt?" They were like, "Oh yes, the most unanticipated thing in all of F one that no one could see coming. The most ignored driver. Blah 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 de blah." So, um, well, uh, George Russell is is taking over as uh, the Mercedes driver for uh, the upcoming seasons, which personally. I think is fucking awesome. Uh, George Russell has worked really hard. He has, uh, along with his team driver, um, uh, Latifi, Nicholas Latifi. Nicholas Latifi. Yeah, Latifi. Yep. He and Latifi have really done a huge job taking Williams from uh, like just the absolute brink of disaster because Williams uh, if you didn't watch last year's racing was, was in a really bad place last year, really bad. Um, Claire Williams, the uh, last family member to have a owning stake in the team left the company. Um, they had, they sold it to a concern Darlton capital. I think the name was, which is yeah. a investment company in New York of all things. Mm-hmm. Um, so just really in a bad place. And, uh, they have been the consistent underdogs this whole season that have just like rocketed from like the back all the way up into, uh, you know, P2 and, and kicking ass. So I, uh, I mean, that, that P2 was kind of a, it's kind of a one-off. P2, but it was, it was um, kind of a one-off, but it's, it still shows that he's a good driver and he's got good chops. And uh, he and I think he and Latifi both have have earned the right to say that they're, you know, good F1 drivers. And uh, so now George Russell is going to go to Mercedes. The question is, is he going to be, you know, as uh, as affable and easygoing as uh, as uh, Valtteri Bottas? So it's uh, it's kind of interesting because we almost we didn't really get a chance to see it. We've seen him in a Mercedes before. Um, it was was it Azerbaijan last year? last year? Yeah, when he got uh, screwed out of a uh, what would have been his first points finish. Well, actually, he did score on the points with that Mercedes, but he could have had a race win in that Mercedes if uh, 
he didn't have a botch well we won't get in super into it we may have even talked about it at the last one but a botch pit stop and then a blown tire uh kind of knocked him out of contention but the curse of he Russell. was showing tremendous pace he was faster than botas uh in a car that he had only just jumped into to mm-hmm. uh, to race for that race and that was because lewis had uh positive covid um yeah, it were self-isolating under threat of maybe having COVID. I forget the it was coop related, but uh, he didn't really get a chance to do it. And but he showed that even just jumping into that Mercedes from the Williams, he knew how to wrangle it and he knew how to be yeah. competitive with it. Oh yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see the dynamic between him and Lewis, where Lewis is now the you know he's he has his wins. He everyone knows that he's uh, one of the best, if not the best, driver to ever hop into a car. Now you have a kid who's coming in who is like being talked up as the prodigy and has he's already demonstrated that he is fast in that metal. So we'll see we'll see what happens there. But uh but yeah, he and Latifi both and Latifi is a pay driver. Like Latifi was brought onto Williams during their money ailing days because Latifi brought a lot of sponsorship money with him. So yeah, something that's going to be interesting to see with Latifi and Russell being kind of instrumental, uh, and I think Latifi played a big, you know, not as big of a part, but a big part in um, in what they've done. They it's really Russell that carried the team on his friggin' back. Let's be honest, uh, is what happens after Russell, mm-hmm. and I guess that's where I'll jump in with uh, the driver that I'm excited to see on the grid right now. So now Russell's seat is open. Uh, Red Bull has a driver in their academy named Alexander Albon. And Albon was paired with uh, with Max Verstappen. Uh, as a So Pierre Gasly used to be with Max Verstappen. As right. we said, Helmut Marco took out his, uh, his headsman's axe and went, you are not performing as I expect. And they <laughs> promoted him to Alpha Tauri. So Oof. now uh, Alexander Albon gets the seat. And... He uh, goes through a half season and then a full season with Red Bull and kind of cracks under the pressure. And Red Bull's a a very noted pressure cooker. Red Bull is where young drivers go to, like, have mental breakdowns. (laughs) So it's Albon just uh, more so than any other driver really at Red Bull just cannot take the, uh, the heat. And he's like a sweetheart of a guy too. So it's mm-hmm. it's kind of like sad seeing this promising driver get kind of punched out. And the worst part is, unlike Gasly, who there was a seat at Alpha Tauri for him to take, Gasly's still in Alpha Tauri and he's performing. Like he's mm-hmm. won a race that year. Uh, he actually won um, last the previous year in Belgium. Uh, at Spa. So it's a uh, and Honda was the engine sponsor, and one of their stipulations is that they had a Japanese driver on the team, and they have Yuki Tsunoda, a young, promising talent, ha ha ha, who gets brought onto the yeah. team, and now there's no seat for Albon to take. So Red Bull retains him as a driver. He's a test driver for the Red Bull racing team, and uh-huh. they say you can race in other series. So they put him in, I think, like DTM and a couple of other things to keep him, they keep his juices up. Right. Now that there's a seat open, Red Bull's like, we got this guy who's an experienced driver. He's been on the F1 grid for almost two years. And like, we want him or more than that. He was on Alpha Tauri beforehand, or I guess Scuderia Toro Rosso back then. Oh but, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. These they're like, Hey, let's bring him in and put him in the seat. Weird thing happens. Toto Wolf chimes in. 
Williams is a Mercedes-powered team. Uh-huh. Toto doesn't like that a driver from the Red Bull Academy, who will stay with the Red Bull Academy, may drive a Mercedes-powered car. Uh-huh. So Toto says it'd be cool if, to work with him if he left the Red Bull Academy. Uh-huh. And uh, this started a bit of a, like, well, what the hell's going to happen? Like, Albon should come back, but is is this going to become a pissing contest between Mercedes and Red Bull? And it turned out that that was all just, it turned out that was all just smoke and mirrors and Mm. William signed Albon and he's still a Red Bull driver. And I don't know if they worked out a back deal for anything else, but uh, importantly, Albon in a rising Williams team is coming back onto the grid and has an opportunity to prove his racecraft again in a car. And that is uh, to me, pretty exciting because I really liked Albon's presence on the grid before he kind of started having some, oopsie doodle moments with his uh i think the thing that killed him on the team was he uh he got on the radio during a race and said they raced me so hard as a lament and uh, uh saying that oh, at red yes. Bull is effectively like saying fire me please fire me <laughs> which you know they kind of did a little oopsies. bit well you know but but that kind of wraps up the driver market going into monza is okay. uh we got kimmy Kimmy out, Botas to Alpha to replace him, Russell to uh, Mercedes to replace him, and then Albon to Williams to replace him, and that covers it off. Uh, at this point during the season, every driver on the grid is confirmed, uh, with the exception of Vettel, who is expected to sign, and Giovinazzi, who is kind of rumored to not have his seat anymore. And then that gets interesting as to who fills his seat, but... That's now, a topic that a, for later. Is, as far as you know, is that a um, Giovinazzi is uh, not in his seat anymore because of uh, somebody doesn't want him in it, or just he doesn't want to be there anymore? Or is that he's, in the he's been there for? Anywhere? He's been there for a while, and mm-hmm. he was kind of a package deal with Kimi too, and he just hasn't. Like he's, uh, I call him the most forgettable driver on the grid. He doesn't really ever show up anywhere in a race, and that's part of it being in an Alfa Romeo. Part of it, he's not showing really as much talent as you know. The drivers on Williams, even um, just in terms of racecraft, and uh, there's it's interesting. We don't know who's going to take that seat. There's a couple of people. The Ferrari Driver Academy is not guaranteed a seat on that team, and they used to be, mm. Uh, mm. but they still may pull from there. Um, interestingly enough, uh, one my, uh, Mick Schumacher may be interested in jumping ship from a Haas team to an Alfa Romeo team. So yeah, that's crazy. I wonder why. Uh, yeah, that's well. It's, it's nothing in this next race is going to uh, give us any insight as to why that could be at all. Something to do with his uh, teammate repeatedly trying oh, to not, kill him. Not, not a chance. No. no I don't what? That no. That doesn't sound all. like him. Not at all. So uh, we we return to the magical land. I believe it is called the Temple of Speed, the Italian Grand Prix. At uh, Autodromo Nazionale de Manza. Manza is such a good track. Uh, some Italian person is 100% going to hear that and come to my house and murder me for how badly I pronounced that. I'm sorry. Also, I took German, not Italian. I know it's bad. I'm trying. Also, the best. fun part about you know, the best part about Manza is the best part. If you look at the track, it kind of looks like an Italian hand going like, hey. You know, I've tried actively to block that meme from my memory, but here it is. It's right <laughs> back in there, and it's never going to go away. So uh, Monza is a phenomenal track. I love Monza. Um, so uh, 
there's there's a, there's, a, a... Uh, there, there's an overtaking problem in F1 where a lot of the tracks with the wider cars, there's not a lot of places that you can perform maneuvers on. Right. Monza is kind of special because uh, the way that the track is, it's very fast. Uh, and there's a bunch of different turn complexes that you can kind of get stuff done. And yeah. there's there's a lot of opportunities around the track to do it. Now you it's may, just a great track. You may be detecting a, a pattern here of the d- X track is difficult to pass on. So a lot of these tracks are historical tracks. They've been in the F1 Grand Prix circuit for the life of the sport. Um, the F1 cars now are radically unrecognizably different from F1 cars. I mean, God, even in like the, the nineties, you know, like looking at some of these. Uh, so when you watch an F1 race, they have some of the uh, videos from like, I mean, they'll go all the way back to like the nineties and sometimes even farther back. And um, like the, the nineties F1 car looks like something you'd pull out of like a discount McDonald's happy meal toy you know like it's just the goofiest looking thing and you've got these they also like made them look strange there was the fan car back then which used a fan to generate ground effect for the car to suck it onto the road which was super banned after that um there was the i forget was it terrell i forget yeah uh there was a car that had six wheels um that was pretty cool what yep Oh, Nick! Oh, okay. my sweet summer child. We're gonna we're gonna have to, to see. Let's go ahead and earmark this. We're gonna need to come back to this nonsense. This sounds absolutely bonkers. But yeah, uh, over the years, the I guess the point being, the F one cars themselves have gotten uh, bigger and heavier, and that has caused problems um, in terms of like they got more powerful too, and they've got faster. Say, but also also more go faster. Yeah, so they are uh, they are. The fastest they've ever been, but they're also the heaviest and widest they've ever been, and yes. the longest too. And that causes problems for trying to pass in corners that were not necessarily designed for aircraft carriers to maneuver through. Right. Uh, it is. It is easy to pass with a car. Somewhat more difficult when you have your, you know, fucking HMS hood going two hundred <laughs> miles an hour down a straight. But uh, that, that that is too pertinent for this race. Uh, uh, (laughs) britannia rules the waves but perhaps not the track um (laughs) so we have um do you want to i usually don't get the privilege of watching quali especially because i was working the weekend of this race so um why don't you uh colberto set us up for the grid talk us through quali for monza this race was a special one on the calendar for qualifying. Um, most times during an F1 weekend, mm-hmm. you'll have Saturday or no, Friday rather is free practice one and free practice two. And that's when you're just setting up the car, trying to see what they work out the kinks in it. Sunday or Saturday is free practice three followed by uh, qualifying and qualifying is usually that exactly what I was talking about. Q1, Q2, Q3. Uh-huh, 20, uh-huh. 15, 10, and then you're done. And then Sunday is the race. F1 wanted to do something to make, you know, nobody, att- I mean, I've been to races on a Friday. It's the best time to go because nobody's there. Uh, but, and you still get all the cars there and everything, but Hell nobody yeah. really attends. And it's because <laughs> there's not a lot going on. Right. Um, so F1 wanted to make that a little better. 
So they decided to do sprint. Uh, they call it sprint qualifying. You can't call it a sprint race because if you call it a race, it fucks with people's contracts or something, I guess. Uh, but uh, what they'll do is free practice one happens on Friday, followed by regular qualifying Q3, Q2, Q1. And that sets up a grid. And that's the grid for the next day where you'll have free practice two followed by sprint qualifying, which is a uh, a race at like third distance or quarter distance. It's, it's you know, like there's a 20 something lap race that they did right. around Monza and uh, with the grid set up the previous day. And then whatever place you finish in that race is the place that you start the real race in on Sunday. So they did that this time. Um, it was a fairly normal qualifying session uh, beforehand. Uh, importantly, though, the Friday qualifying session, that is, importantly, Valtteri Botas, Mr. Botas himself, yes. uh, is going to have a power unit change that he knows about going into Saturday sprint qualifying. And a power unit change um, will put you straight to the back of the grid. So he is... Uh, I think he may be on his fourth engine, so it's a penalty too. I don't exactly remember, but it's, that is the uh, penalty, is it not? If you if you're on too many power units, you are pit lane start. Uh, something like I, of course, because we're in the middle of the podcast, I don't remember the exact ruling. But uh, in this race, whichever one it was, importantly, he's starting from the very back, right? Because he changed the power unit. Power unit uh, change bad for standing. Yeah, and it's called power unit for what it's worth instead of engine because the power unit contains the engine and uh, the system called the MGU-H and MGU-K, which are just energy things because there's batteries, hybrid cars, they're turbo hybrids, blah, blah, blah. Any hoozle, they uh, they start sprint qualifying. Sprint qualifying uh, heads off. Um, Lewis kind of gets gobbled up a little bit, uh, and through it, uh, Gasly is super cursed he won last year he crashes in sprint qualifying yeah. uh pretty quickly too so his car is in a rough shape um not too much to talk about uh except that the the papaya cars of the mclarens are fast and oh, end up yeah. splitting yeah so they are right in the mix with the mercedes and the red bulls mm -hmm. so that becomes very important and, of course, I didn't write down exactly what the starting grid was, but I know that I believe it was Danny Rick uh, started on pole position. Uh, he didn't really start on pole position. Valtteri Botas, for what it's worth, king of speed. Uh, when he's going around the track, he ends up, uh, I think, having the Monza lap record oh, wow. uh, going around. And he gets pole position uh, in sprint qualifying. He wins the sprint qualifying race, and Danny Rick is, I believe, in second place. Mm -hmm. And, Nick, you could look up what the starting positions were to make sure I'm not blowing smoke. But uh, because of that, he doesn't actually get pole. He gets bumped to the back. I think Danny Rick starts first. Uh, and Danny then Rick, Max Verstappen. Danny Rick does not start first. Uh, Verstappen. Max Verstappen. Okay. So it's so uh, Verstappen, Ricciardo. Norris, yes. then Hamilton. Yes, Hamilton got kind of uh, sandbagged at the start of the race uh, because he, I think he called it a clutch, uh, he screwed up the clutch uh, on his launch. Gotcha. Anyway, that kind of sets up the grid for the next day. The headline being the McLarens look fast. Oh, yeah. Um, also, uh, 
fun little thing that happened in the background is that Sebastian Vettel uh, is kind of the like a, the father figure for one uh, Mick Schumacher, and uh, they're really uh, you know they're like super best friends in the grid. Uh, Mick Schumacher may have um, ruined Vettel's qualifying a little bit. Oopsie, uh, oopsie doodles, but just like something that happened there anyway this leads into <laughs> the the sunday race right uh, which now starts off with it's verstappen ricciardo norris and then hamilton yes uh, and... also sergio perez is i forget how he screwed up this time but he's not in he didn't end up qualifying oh yeah what happened with him in a in a great spot i think he ended up qualifying actually you have the sheet right there so where did he qualify well, uh, i've only got the first four um oh yeah i'm i'm just kind of poking around on my phone so that it'll make horrible clickety clack noises on the keyboard um but yeah no paris did not start uh sprint qualifying let's see if i can find uh, uh, I have it right here. Here so we Sergio go. Perez, Perez was, starts, oh, God, nine. way the hell back there. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so. I don't remember offhand why, but uh, I wanted to also point out that um, behind Lewis Hamilton, we have both Scuderia Ferrari cars on their home turf. And uh, Ferrari has been slowly but steadily inching up the pole right. positions over the over the course of the season. So you've got a lot of fast cars in the front, and they are being hounded by Scuderia Ferrari from uh, fifth and sixth. And they are, buddy, they are gunning for that pole position. So also important to state is uh, Ferrari's in a tight battle in the championship with one McLaren. Yes. So that's uh, that's kind of a an interesting development now that the McLaren seem to uh, at at Ferrari's home track Monza the McLarens are Oof. faster. Yep, and it uh, it doesn't spoiler alert end well for Ferrari unfortunately. But uh, oh, actually it, it doesn't end too badly for them either it doesn't end terribly they don't take first which would have been really cool because i'm sure the italian crowd would have lost their minds it would have been epic but uh they uh, race start though Ooh, so the race starts and uh max everyone everyone gets away pretty cleanly but uh max verstappen despite the fact that on the uh, on the formation lap has angled himself to cut Mm -hmm. off danny ricciardo can't get it former done. teammate Danny Ricciardo yep. knows knows his tricks all that can't get it done Danny Rick Danny peels out of that fucking line and charges into first place right off the bat so so first lap first turn McLaren's in the lead uh followed by Vettel and then uh what happens at the very beginning too Hamilton kind of gets uh, sorry, I meant Verstappen. Vervet. Vervital. Hamilton kind of gets into a weird position where he starts trying to drive up and gets kind of boxed in a little bit by the McLarens as they're heading to the, the first corner. Hey, um, uh... Ends up kind of side by side with uh, Norris going into the corner, wins out initially. Yes. But um, as they're goes, going into the. Yeah. Goes big dick after Verstappen. Gets himself pushed into the way, falls back into fifth, I think. 
yeah, he doesn't uh, end up in a particularly great spot after that, yeah. but he kind of wheel bangs with Verstappen in the first turn complex and uh, kind of cuts the corner a little bit. Mm. It drops his speed and Norris is able to pass him and drop him back in the, in the standings. Um, also during this first lap. Uh, so important to state the alpha Tauris are both out. And this is, uh, I think Tsunoda had brake issues before the race. So he's out. Mm-hmm. And Gasly has a power unit issue caused by the accident the previous day yes, uh, in the sprint qualifying. Very intense date with a wall during sprint qualifying. So no, no uh, Alpha Tower. He's only eighteen cars on the grid. On the same corner where uh, Hamilton and Verstappen have their wheel bang that leaves Hamilton kind of hanging out to dry in the backfield, uh, not even the backfield. Um, the midfield, a, a very yeah, midfield case of spin. Yeah, um, Giovinazzi is started. I think he started like uh, seventh. He punches his way up to sixth, passing Carlos Sainz. Mm-hmm. He tries to make a move on Leclerc going into that same turn complex, which I will remember the name at some point. Flop is screaming. Uh, I know right now. La Curva Grande, I think it is. No, no, it's right before Curva Grande. Oh, but okay. It's uh, he kind of dives in doesn't do it right, cuts the corner uh, coming out of it, and puts himself in a position where Carlos Sainz has nowhere to go, and he ends That's up banging into the an Alpha wheel. Yep. yep. And he ends up banging the uh, the Alfa Romeo's, Alfa Romeo's rear wheel, Alfa Romeo. spins him out into the side of the track. Um, afterwards, it's determined that this was Giovinazzi's fault. Um, it's his home race. He's in a, a Ferrari-powered car, you know, all excited. And it rips his front wing off. He has to go in and change it. And it kind of compromises the rest of his race. And what could have been a dream finish for Giovinazzi ends up turning into a uh uh-oh, stinky. Uh Uh-oh, stinky. Almost took uh, some stewards out, too. Yeah. I don't know if you saw. I mean, it was a a close one. Um, Violent-looking crash. But fortunately, nobody hurt. Um, It totally sheared the, uh, the front of that car off. They almost... Uh, they briefly uh, put the race under a virtual safety car, uh, but Giovinazzi was able to kind of get away cleanly and um, pulled out. Uh, somebody else came off bad oh, in that in that. Yes, I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. Just want to quickly aside what is a virtual safety car. So in in oh, racing, yeah. uh, you have um, a different kinds of yellows that come out. You have a full course yellow. You have uh, just slow your speed by a certain amount. I think a full course yellow now is pretty much as a virtual safety car. You have sector yellows, which means that in a particular sector of the track, you have to reduce your speed and you can't pass people. A virtual safety car just means you have to reduce your speed by 40% and stay in your position. So it doesn't Constantina up the grid. You just kind of maintain your place, but you're going slower. A safety car is the actual physical car comes out and everyone's able to catch up behind it. And that's where drivers are able to unlap themselves and things, and it it squeezes the grid up. And usually uh, on a safety car restart, uh, more things happen. As the <laughs> saying goes, safety cars beget more safety cars. Yes, fun things occur. Um, uh, no safety car in this race, to my no. recollection, though. Uh, I don't um, also no. I don't believe there ever was one, um, I, or maybe there was one during a particular incident, but oh, we'll uh, I don't that. think so. Uh, but having said that, the other person that came off bad was one Sebastian Vettel, 
And uh, that's because yes. uh, Sebastian Ocon, or Sebastian Ocon, uh, <laughs> oh, good golly. Uh, I don't remember his first name. Jesus. Anyway, uh, Esteban. Esteban Ocon uh, kind of bangs into uh, Sebastian Vettel and puts him into a bad spot. Um, and Vettel ends up losing like five positions off of it. And uh, Ocon is enough in the wrong with this move. Interestingly enough, I think this move that he made was similar to a move that Leclerc made back in 2019 that they were like, no, we're not letting people get away with that again. Oh, so he does it. Huh. And uh, the stewards Whoops. hand him a five second penalty that kind of starts, you know, taking the wind out of his race uh, right. right there. But Vettel got uh, got creamed. Well, and then Vettel later on has Lance Stroll absolutely his teammate oh, yeah. just cut him off brutally, oh, yeah. and he has to slam the brakes on, and he drops four positions. Not a not a good race for, uh, no, for actually, Vettel, no, no. unfortunately. Yeah, the um. So sorry when Ocon hit him, Vettel spun. That was when Vettel spun, but um. When, yeah, that was when I forgot about that. That's when Stroll wiped his nose, just carving up aggressively on his teammate. And that's when he lost all those positions. You're right. Yep. Um, So we have uh, a continued McLaren lead. Uh, We have some strategy go on by which I mean, uh, so there's, there's a pit stop strategy here. Now, another, now another thing that's very interesting about the start of this race is uh, I don't know if we've talked about tire compounds. We'll save that deep dive for another day but uh lewis hamilton starts on hard compounds typically not uh oh oh, did both mercedes start on hards i thought it was only hamilton no it was it was both mercedes it made more sense for uh that uh for botas because he's starting at the back and he needs to carve up through the grid so a harder tire makes sense Everybody on the grid chooses, interestingly enough, in a sprint qualifying weekend, you get to choose what tire you start on with the race. Usually you don't. It's, uh, for the first top 10 people, you don't get a choice. It's whatever tire you qualified on fastest in uh, Q2. But uh, they get to free choice, free reign. Start on whatever tire you want. Everybody picks medium except for the Mercedes, interestingly enough, including Hamilton. And I think the strategy was that during the sprint race, they found that the mediums kind of peeled off near the end and mm-hmm. people started getting a lot slower. So maybe they thought that with the pace differential, putting the hard on first, they got a hard on. Uh, uh, they would, uh, they would be able to do something with it. Now I had heard, um, I had heard it said that, uh, the hard as it degraded did turn into a very nice racing tire, uh, for that race. Yes. Now the, the strategy portion comes in, um, with a thing called an undercut and mm-hmm. an undercut is where you attempt to pit prior to your opponent so that you get out on the track and you make your opponent who may be in the lead eat 20 seconds out of their lead. Cause most pit stops, the good ones take between 20 and 25 seconds to enter the pit lane, do the maintenance, leave the pit lane, get back onto the track. So the idea with an undercut is I go in with a competitive time. I get my new tires. Now you, I have fresh tires. I can press you harder, which causes you to degrade your tires faster. And now you also have to go into the pits and change your tires. So that gives me 20 seconds to try and make up some pace or overtake you. 
The alternative is when you have a car like a Mercedes-Benz that does really well in clean air, you put hard tires on it and you're hoping that towards the latter stages of the race when everyone else is pitting, you've still got good tires. And when, mm, that traffic so track gets, position. when that traffic gets out of your way, now you've got lots of clean air and you can really stack some pace on, put the put enough pace on that you'll have enough time, you'll have that 20 seconds to do your pit down the road and retain the lead. That's actually, uh, it's a, that's also a thing called an overcut is what overcut. you're describing. Yep. So there you go. Undercuts and overcuts. Brief little strategy talk. Um, that didn't work. Uh, Mercedes has been having some serious strategy issues well, these past this, few races. We're, we're actually getting a bit ahead of ourselves. The first pit stop of the race comes with Danny Rick, who is in the lead. So the leader pits first. And Verstappen is told on the radio do the opposite of what Danny does. Yep. So if Danny, like on this lap, if Danny pits, you don't. If he doesn't pit, you do. Danny pits, so he stays out and he tries to make up, he tries to, you know, make the most of the situation with clean air and do an overcut. But the mediums aren't working for him. He's not getting the pace out of them that he really wants to. He had already been complaining before that, that he was having some trouble. Uh, Danny gets out or stopping goes in. Now, and this is, I mean, we had a, what, a 50-some lap race, I think? Uh, and, something like that, like 56 and, maybe. And this is like 20-some laps in. So Verstappen is is trying to get this pace back with some some pretty fucking ate-up tires. And you can see that he's, he's getting some fish tailing. He does not have good grip. And F1 cars are incredibly, incredibly sensitive to downforce, to grip, to all of these things. And when you start losing one, the performance of the car tanks real fast. So uh, Verstappen is trying to go over these curbs. He's trying to go over these speed bumps. He's trying to get the traction and the grip out of these tires to fight that pace back into the race. And he's just, he's not getting it. And you can hear on the radio that he is, he's having a hard time with these tires and it seems like i personal opinion i think they overshot those tires by a good margin i don't think yeah i think it was a strategy failure on red bull's part not to pit him immediately on there and try for the undercut with him because then danny would have had to respond to red bull yep. and i think that uh red bull despite the changes with the kind of like pit crew thing where you now have you can't do a sub two second pit stop all that stuff red bull still has a you know haha they have a great pit crew so it's kind mm -hmm. of weird that they didn't try to just bring both in at once and see if maybe red bull could get an edge on mercedes just in the pit stop battle yeah and get closer to him coming out of the pits just off of that where they'd be on equal footing with equal tires yeah and and ricardo had a lead but it wasn't like danny's lead was you know minutes ahead of the pack i mean verstappen was keeping pretty good pressure on him for the whole race and i think if yeah. they had followed him into the pits and just kept that up with newer tires and kept that proximity i, I think they could have had a pretty good shot at winning it uh, having said that, Red Bull still fast, and the pit stop, it might not have been like the worst call ever, except. Except. There's there's this other guy on the track 
that you may have well, heard of. Oh no. Well, oh no. Well, what, how is so Verstappen goes? Oh in no. Well, yeah. Well, Red yeah. Bull gives you wings, but sometimes it also gives you horrible, horrible crashes. And uh, I'll oh, let I'll let Colberto take this one away because it's it's burning. It's burning him up, folks. So Ver, Verstappen comes in. He goes for a stop. Wheel guns come in. Tires change. Wheel guns come out. And he's staying there. And he's staying there. And a normal pit stop in F1, even with the new rules, two seconds, 2.4 seconds, 2.6 seconds. I'd say two is fast. Two is really Pro- fast. Two like, is really fast. You're two, two, two six. Two four is like a... Two four to two six is about right. Um, wheel gun guy on the front right puts his gun back on the wheel, yarns it, takes it off. The light goes green. Verstappen leaves. The pit stop during that break where the wheel gun guy didn't know what he was doing, uh, which apparently was potentially related to the new system because it's something that they're still learning about and Red Bull's crew was probably trained real hard with their previous system. Mm -hmm. Uh, A stop that should have been sub three seconds took 11.1 seconds, which means that Verstappen is coming out in a vastly different position on the track than he expected to. Yep. And uh, that's not He's good pissed. for him. Oh, he, he is... Yeah. Oh, <laughs> to borrow a phrase from Crofty, he is incandescent. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, boy, is he heated. Uh, there is no amount of unplugged dike water that's going to cool this guy down. I mean, he is Me- just pissed. Meanwhile... There's a Mercedes on the track. <laughs> a few <And> moments <laughs> later. <laughs> <laughs> and the Mercedes of Lewis Hamilton decides that he would like to pit. Yes. So Hamilton gets called in. and He has a pit stop. And the Mercedes pit stop crew doesn't have a particularly great pit stop themselves. So he gets a 4.2 second pit stop uh, and gets released again. None of neither Red Bull's pit wall nor Mercedes pit wall expected any of this to happen. And he's slotting in. They're trying to race him down the pit lane to get in front of Lando Norris. The person behind Lando Norris catching up real fast on the track with brand new tires is one Max Verstappen. And it and it just it just happens to pan out that way, doesn't it? And right. and you've yeah. got uh, oil in the Red Bull race car, and you've got water in <laughs> in the Mercedes race car, and uh, boy howdy, you're just you're just throwing them on the fire pan or the on the on the frying pan. And uh, so, so the the first turn at Monza is a slow technical turn. You got to decelerate from the fastest portion on the track. To the slowest portion on the track, and, and it is Marvin, a it is a chicane. Yep, as well. Which, if you're not familiar, a chicane is like a hard right into a hard left. So think kind of like a hairpin, but you turn it into a pretzel almost. And um, now, um, immediately coming out of the pits, Lewis Hamilton does not expect Max Verstappen to be right on his side going into this turn. Max Verstappen does not expect Lewis Hamilton to be coming straight out of the pits to be alongside him going into this turn. So both of these drivers, in fractions of a second, now realize, oh, shit, 
I'm now side by side with my championship rival for the lead, and we're both barreling in trying to cover each other into the first turn. Yes. And um, you can predict what happens next. <laughs> uh, well, maybe you can't. Um, if you guessed they do what they've done at every other race, which is get up in each other's ass, then yes, that happens. But uh, Max is pushed wide. Max is pushed mm-hmm. wide. And we can, we'll get into the technicalities of this here in a second. But uh, the, the curbing, K-E-R-B, curbing on the side of a... Uh, F1 track is kind of these really aggressive rumble strips. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes. And it kind of tells the driver, hey, you're in track limits, but you are kind of at the outer apex of the turn. So, you know, you may want to think about coloring inside the lines now or else you're going to get a penalty if you keep doing this, Um, which is why you see them going out into the part where it bumps the car around and then they bring it back onto the track. Now, in certain parts on some tracks, if you exceed the speed curbs, you have what's called the sausage curb, which is uh, so the the rumble strips are uh, perpendicular to the tire. The sausage curb is parallel to the tire. Max comes into this turn wide, fighting with Hamilton. I think there was already a little bit of contact, and he gets his front left up onto the sausage curb. I mean, and this is pretty sausage curbs, pretty thick and he hits this so, thing. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Colberto. No. Yeah. No, he, uh, he carries a bit because again, this stuff just happens out of, out of nowhere. <laughs> uh, Max carries a bit more speed into the turn than he wanted to, because he's thinking I need to, you know, I want to outbreak him into this turn and block him out but he doesn't get in front of him in time. And Lewis is able to defend, which pushes Max onto this curb. Tire hits it. The way that it hits kind of unsettles the car. And uh, he goes back into the the Mercedes, the tires touch, and it kind of launches this Red Bull into the air, bouncing off of the curb, touching the tire. And you, the video is incredible of the Red Bull just catapulting into the air. Yes, and landing. So I, I think. Right. I think what happens here is Max hits the curb, and he and he probably feels the car come loose, comes up off the gas. He says, "Oh shit, here we go," because what appears to happen is Hamilton is in full tilt, the back wheel of the Red Bull comes down on top of. Mm-hmm. the Mercedes tire and it appears lands to be right on lands right on it. And it appears to be the case that his wheel is not moving, but because the car is in gear, it does not have any free play. And so the wheel of the Mercedes, which is moving at speed grabs that rubber. And I mean, you've got two sticky race tires that just, just start making out for like <laughs> one, one millionth of a second. And it just, that grip, and that rotation grabs that Red Bull, throws that tire up onto Sir Lewis Hamilton's pretty little noggin. It is. I encourage anyone listening to this to watch the video. F1 has a million angles of this thing occurring, but this Red Bull just gets catapulted on top of the Merc, and they both go into the, the gravel trap off the side of that turn. 
um, and it's just sitting there, just wedged on uh, the Red Bull in the air. Both of them are busted. It breaks the roll bar. Yep. On the uh, on the Mercedes as it goes over, the rear wing's smashed. Yep. Um, and the underside of the Merce- of the Red Bull is just destroyed by yep. all the, all these forces. Absolutely. So now, uh, now they are stopped on the side of the track. Both have taken each other effectively out of the race. So now you are Danny Ricciardo and Lance oh, Stroll. Yeah. And well, uh, there's Lando not Norris. any heavy hitters, or I'm sorry, Lando Norris. And there are no more heavy hitters to take you out of this uh, competition. So uh, when this happens, though, a uh, couple things. There's a lot of controversy around uh, this incident already uh, with oh, yeah. whose fault it was, what's going on. Um, to the FIA has already ruled on it as to who was at fault and what had yeah. occurred. Initially, when I watched it, I thought that Hamilton uh, did a no-no as did Mr. I. Max. So yep. my take on it was, uh, so as, as drivers leave the pit line, there's a white line to their left or well to the racetrack side, left or right, yep. which indicates once that line ends, the person exiting the pit lane can enter the race and, and begin racing, defending, maneuvering, that kind of thing. Well, can start moving on to that part of the track. You're kind of push to the part of the track inside the white line. You can accelerate as much as you want. Oh yeah, of but, course. Uh, but yeah. you can't just, if but you're Lewis... before the white line, you can't go throwing the car over the white and, you know, yes. try and block a guy that's coming up from behind you. And it looked a little bit like Lewis may have just clipped the very end of that line off. It's, it's really hard to tell. I, I think that that was probably a, a non-factor but what it looked like was lewis was aggressive in his move to block Mm -hmm. and when he pushed him into the turn threw max out and then max's collision with him was caused by lewis's aggressive defense and that was maybe a bit naive going into that uh thinking that that was it it's one of those things where you know like you watch something happen you think it's one guy and it turns out it's the other guy that did it oh yeah uh this was so my thoughts on it is that it's a racing incident. I think that was a situation where nobody could give ground. Mm-hmm. Nobody was going to back out of that turn and defend it, especially uh, since, again, it was just kind of right there. They didn't expect to be you know, battling each other. This wasn't like setting up a move down a straight. Right. And usually when you pass someone in Formula One, you're setting up that pass turns in advance, laps mm-hmm. in advance. You know where the guy's weak. You know where you want to get up on them, and you'll uh, you'll kind of position your car coming out of a couple of turns beforehand to pass someone. It's where somebody says like, "Wow, that pass happened three turns ago," you know, because then the, they have put themselves in a spot where they know where the other guy's going to try to defend, and then they'll move through. This was kind of a snap decision thing, and uh, you have two drivers. Both of them are really fast. Both of them are fairly aggressive. Max maybe more so than Lewis, mm-hmm. but putting uh, both into a situation where, you know, one of them's going to have to blink in this game of chicken, or they're going to be both taken out of the race. So mm-hmm. I chalk it up to a racing incident. Yeah, um, but I, I I'm in the same ish boat. Um, I saw. Uh, 
when I first saw it, I was like, oh, that's Hamilton all the way. And then as I dug more into it, well, so at this chicane, um, on the outside, there is actually kind of an emergency bypass uh, and with which Sebastian Vettel is very well acquainted because he blew straight through it when his brakes went out last year uh, when he was driving for Ferrari. <laughs> but uh, there was a there's also in the midst of the turn complex, there's a very wide open space uh, where a, a car can escape. For, for safety reasons. Now they're, they will exceed track limits most certainly, but you'll keep your car in the race and you won't nearly kill anyone. Um, I think Max got over aggressive. Um, I think he carried too much into the turn and I think someone in his skill probably knew that. And I think that he, Split second error of judgment, not malicious, but I he think was, he, he turned... was already hot headed off of the beginning of the race. And then yep. after the pit stop, uh, and I, I don't think he was maybe in his best state of mind yeah. when that snap decision came up. Yep. Human factors. He, he went right when he should have went left. Right was into Hamilton's car left or well, right was into the Sosig curb and subsequently into Hamilton's car left was into a capitulated spot, but also safety. And uh, yeah, I think it's fair to call it a racing incident. I also think it's very fair to say that uh, Hamilton uh, was not at fault. And that leads us inexorably to the FIA's decision. So after the race, the FIA concluded that uh, while it was both drivers had a part to play, Max had more of a part to play and yep. have subsequently given him a three-place grid penalty to be served at the next race. Um, I think that that's probably also reflective of this being kind of a double-fault situation. Three-place grid penalty is not the biggest penalty you can give somebody for something like that. It's usually like right. a five-place penalty. Well, especially so, when you're in the fastest car on the grid or one of them. Yeah, so I think this is more of a, like, yeah, you're the guy at fault here. You were never going to make that curb the way that you were trying to take it to battle Hamilton. But we also kind of understand that this was a, you know, something that wasn't a, uh, there are some people out there that think this was an intentional decision. I uh, think that's nah. probably, no, I don't think so. And I think that it's probably better, uh, like that can be dismissed a bit by that, like snap decision nature of uh, them defending each other into that turn. Yeah. And I'll, uh, I, I'll... what I do think is that happens. <laughs> the, uh, the sad part is Max is on better tires. He's got them warmed up. He's got them around the track. Max is faster. If he had just gave up that corner to Lewis right after that is a place called Curva Grande. Curva Grande is effectively a straight because it's a very uh, unaggressive turn and a very long one. Real Curva shallow. Grande. And Max has been eating Hamilton's lunch in that first uh, turn complex off of Curva Grande all day. And I think that if he had just backed off a little bit and played the longer game, he could have had Lewis. Yeah. And and normally I'll be the first to borrow from NASCAR and say that, you know, Rubin's racing. And I, I like to see a little bit more aggressive uh, driving. But it, I think it's a warranted penalty as well because that, that one that one got into the scary territory you know um 
if it was not for the uh, the halo, which is the rim that goes over the uh, driver's heads and the helmet system. Um, I mean, even with those, uh, the tire of Max's Red Bull made physical contact and pushed down the head of Lewis Hamilton. And all he would have had to do was engage the clutch accidentally and step on the gas. And that very well could have been the end of somebody. I heard that uh, Max's foot might have actually still been in it at the time because he doesn't know that this is landing on top of uh, Hamilton's car Ooh. in like a fraction of a second. But yeah, the differential may have broken during the incident. Oh, and that may have stopped the tire that was over Hamilton, regardless of Max's input. Right, and which is, I mean, phenomenal because that that had the potential to be uh, tragic. And that's so. I think it's. I think it's warranted. You know, uh, warranted penalty. Fortunately, nobody got hurt. But um, at, at some point, uh, the aggression has to yield to safety. You know what I mean? Two bad things that happened out of this from either driver's side, though, is their uh, their hot takes about it. Oh um, yeah, they are turbo heated with one another. Understandably, so when when it happened. Uh, Max's last his last message on the radio before he got out of the car it was, well this is what happens when you don't give space, right? And that sounded a wee bit aggressive. Yeah, um, well also, it's not his job to give space. You're trying to take a position from him, and he's trying to defend yeah. it. You're not entitled so, to it. Max hops out of his car that's on top of Lewis's car, and walks to the side, and uh, he. You know, usually in that situation, a uh, driver would like check on the other driver to see if they're all right. And uh, if you're looking at the video, Max just walks away and he starts walking uh, back towards the pits, making like the walk of shame. The you know, oh my car's dead. And people were giving Max a lot of flack. Lewis even said like, I'm wondering why he didn't check if I was all right. Thing is though, if you're watching the video, Lewis is in reverse trying to pull his car out from under Max yep. the entire time. So yep. Max didn't need to see if he was all right. Lewis is in the car fighting to get his car back on the track. You, you can actually, away. you can actually Nick. see Max is trying to climb off the Red Bull, and the car is shifting under him <laughs> because Lewis is trying like a mad lad to pull the car out. And it's not until his race engineer says, "Lewis, we need you to turn the engine off." <laughs> So yeah, I think that both drivers tried to uh, you know dramatize it a little bit more than it really needed to be. Uh, but I I don't give Max any negative points for walking away from that because like Lewis is clearly fine um, based upon his actions in the car as he was looking at him and before he walked away. Um, and I also think that uh, Max's hot take was uh, like of course he wasn't giving you space. He was right. He's this is a race. This isn't yeah. the Max Verstappen gets to pass people Grand Prix. <laughs> I'm sure he'd like that. I'm I'd like sure. that. I'd race in that if there's a you know Mr. Nick passes people Grand Prix where I win <laughs> two billion gajillion dollars at the end and leaving my yacht. But you know, so th throughout all of this, um, th there's a I forget if it's a safety car or if it's just a. Uh, uh, virtual safety car or whatever. Anyway, cars get taken off the track and racing resumes. This entire time, on hard tires, in the back, doing the work, is Valtteri Botas. He is carving his way through the field. 
And remember, listeners, I said that this was going to come full circle. Valtteri <laughs> Bottas is not just a good team driver. He is an excellent F1 driver. It's the hill I'm going to fucking die on. <laughs> Pulling a Hamilton, coming from the back of the pack, tearing it all the way up to the fucking podium, baby. So where he is now in the race, though, is he's uh, there's Ferraris between Botas and Perez. And uh, actually, Perez is behind uh, Charles Leclerc. I think Botas is coming up behind uh, signs at this time, or he has passed signs. And then uh, LeGreg Le is in front of him. You mean uh, Charles uh, Leclerc? Charles Leclerc. So uh, uh, Perez decides to uh, take an inventive line through uh, the turn complex <laughs> an inventive and line. Pass, hmm. yeah, pass him on the outside of the curb and take the position to which Leclerc is like, well, you know, that I need that position back. And uh, <laughs> like, that's illegal. You can't do that. You have to see the position to which uh, apparently Red Bull and Perez were like, what position? And then the FIA gave them a five-second penalty for it. Womp, 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 womp. To be fair, uh, Perez had a little bit of a kindergarten problem of not being able to color in the lines pretty much all day. The track limits, but why, though? And, you know, it's... It's uh, it's pretty uh, it's pretty common though. I think you you see somebody trying to test out the track limits a little bit. You know, maybe maybe it's because they've got a line down and their tires are getting a little squirrely and they're going a little wider than they than they intend. But um, the FIA I think tends to be plenty generous. So by the time someone actually gets around to being penalized for track limits, it's it's basically like there's a guy at the store and he's like, you know, he's not just picking like a grape off to like sample it. He's just like eating half the thing of grapes, and you're like, okay, you you have to buy that now. He's like, no, I'm just I'm just trying them. I'm just trying them. It's so, like, no, you've eaten so, you've eaten a pound of grapes. You need to buy that through the rest of this race, and to kind of uh, speed it up, speed it up. We're an F1 podcast. Um, I think that the other thing to mention is uh, in the background there is a dumb thing going on at the backfield where Nikita Mazepin decides to uh, oh. smashy smash into uh, his teammate and spin oh, him around. So Mick Schumacher gets uh, the spin cycle from Mazepin for yep. no reason. Uh, mercifully, uh, <laughs> Zeus decided to smash Mazepin's car with a, a mechanical failure, and Mazepin was forced to retire from the race shortly afterwards. God. But uh, Mazepin uh. is... I think uh, another one of our friends, Guy Aki, was watching the race, and Mazepin was forced to afterwards take a, uh, a or at some point take an escape road, the same one on the turn where the incident happened that he was talking about, Nick was talking about previously. And as he was moving through uh, these foam barriers that kind of force you to take a, a longer time through it, so you don't go straight through, he hit one of the barriers, and one of the commentators was like, "He can't even drive through the chicane properly. Like, why is he on an F1 track?" Ooh. Uh, something to that effect, and it's, um, so we're gonna have to keep Nikita Mazepin not not doing uh, Haas's. I mean, Daddy Mazepin brings the money, but Christ Almighty, he's just Garbage. proving that he doesn't deserve to be there. Garbage here, driver. Um, we're but, gonna have to uh, get a video compilation because 
<laughs> one of those sky commentators has some kind of just i mean like if you could take words and turn them into a knife and stab someone with it uh let's who was it last year uh so it was the it was the cry he can't even go through the chicanes properly was this year i think the winner and last year it was I want to say it was maybe one of the Renaults or maybe one of the Haases, but somebody came into a pit stop and was having trouble getting out. And Crofty just goes, oh, there's a gear in there somewhere, mate. <laughs> it, was, it was like, oh, God, ow. Oh, the color commentators for the sport are great. This oh, and MotoGP, so like racing has the best commentators. I think um, we need to get so- like a, 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 a list of them and just hack it up into a video. Oh, it'd be super maybe, good. Maybe good. These- they used to do that for James Hunt. But nice. anyway, uh, there's the race concludes after this. It's really the only thing to talk about more. And I know that we're getting long in the tooth on time. But uh, for the first time since 2018 in Monaco, when he was on Red Bull, mm-hmm. Daniel Ricciardo, the honey badger, takes yes. home a W and Mer- uh, McLaren with Lando Norris in second place, takes its first 1-2 in a long, long time. Uh, you know, it's 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 something that they needed. It's something I think it, it, Danny needed it tremendously after his slump. Oh, yeah. Um, he was ecstatic over the radio, as you would imagine. Oh, every should be. Again. Um, also, Norris showed... Uh, I guess incredible maturity would be the way to do it. He said that during the race, he didn't want to press um, Danny Rick, even though they had a similar pace mm-hmm. because of the Hamilton Verstappen incident. He was mm-hmm. kind of like lit Larry on, he didn't want to end up like double DNFing his team when they were in one, two. Yeah. So he kind of yeah. asked for team direction. The team said, it'd probably be best if you stayed in your position. And he said, okay. And after the race, he seemed just as, uh, I mean, not just as chuffed, but, you know, Danny's going nuts, and uh, Lando doesn't seem sad at all that he had to play team driver in that instance and maintain his position. Yeah. Uh, at that point, covering off, uh, was Botas got past Perez at some point. Yeah. He was kind of battling Botas because it looked like for a minute there, Botas was going to be able to win. But it then his <sighs> mediums kind of dropped off a cliff, yeah, and yeah. he was not able to keep pace anymore. So Botas ends up taking third place. Perez takes provisional fourth, but ends up dropping, I think, to sixth after his five-second penalty, yeah. bumping the two Ferraris up. Hell yeah. Super good. I was, um, as a Mercedes fan, really pleased to see Valtteri Clausway all the way back uh, up to the podium. I think I think that was awesome. Um, the only thing that would have made it better is if he had taken a shoey, which he did not. So, uh, for those, what, Colberto, tell us about the shoey, please. I don't understand. With, with our last few shoey. minutes. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> so our last topic. Please, um, please, American guy, tell me about the Australian thing. So Australians are insane. Is is basically what I take from this, as in that when Danny Rick wins a race, um, he goes onto the podium, and he celebrates. Uh, and they have these, you know, big bottles of some expensive liquor, bubbly liquor, on there or whatever. And he takes off his shoe, pours the uh, the fancy uh, alcoholic beverage in the shoe, and then drinks it from the shoe that he has just removed after racing for two hours and probably sweating his little ass off. And, and, and then 
gives the shoe to other people to <laughs> additionally take shoeies with him. Part. So please drink from my dirty shoe, please. Now, Danny Rick used to be a guy who would be on the podium a lot. Uh, Norris took a shoey. Uh, Zach Brown, the CEO of McLaren, took a shoey. On the podium with him is one Valtteri Bottas. One very terrified-looking Valtteri Bottas. <laughs> he doesn't want a part of this at all, and he manages no. to dodge it. So in the post, uh, he just leaves the podium before Danny has a chance to try to corner him, too. It's great. Very Finnish way of doing it. Just Irish goodbye the podium. Uh, but... Uh, in the post, oh. in the press conference afterwards, um, I think Danny was like, "Well, I'm sorry, I didn't, you know, you didn't take a shoey, but I'm sure you've taken one before." He's like, "Nope, never have." He's been <laughs> on the podium with Danny before. <laughs> oh, brilliant! So oh, uh, he's, and, he, and Danny's like, "Well, I'm sorry that you didn't get one." And Valtteri's like, "No, no, like, I'm actually very no, happy." No, don't be sorry. I'm happy. <laughs> Incredibly <laughs> finished. Awkward smile the whole time. Fucking shooey. It's in the notes. Fucking shooey. There we go. Yeah. Um, uh, so let's uh, let's discuss briefly uh, hopes and aspirations for the next race in the series, the Turkish Grand Prix. So yeah, I don't even know exactly. So let's let's close this out with um, a bit of the standings. So give me one moment, and I'll just pull it up to make sure that I got it right. Yeah. In the lead in the. In the lead in the driver's championship is still Max Verstappen. Yep. Uh, so Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen earn no points off of this race. But they're still uh, far in the lead. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, with Botas in third with 141. Lando in fourth now with 132. Perez in fifth with 118. Leclerc with 104. Sainz with 97.5. Uh, Ricciardo. Moves up to eighth place, or maybe it wasn't eighth place already, with 83 points, mm. but puts distance between him and Pierre Gasly, who is okay. in ninth at 66. Alonso's at 50. Ocon's at 45. Vettel's at 35. Stroll, 24. Sunoda, 18. Russell, 15. Uh, Russell actually ends up scoring two points in this race by finishing ninth. Um, hey. Latifi. Latifi has seven. Raikkonen has two. Giovinazzi has one. And then Mick Schumacher. Robert Kubica as the uh, stand-in for Alfa Romeo, and Nikita Mazepin with the goose egg. The goose um, egg. The goose is loose, con baby. Constructor standings have uh, Mercedes pulling off a slight lead on Red Bull with 362.5 to 344.5, followed by uh, McLaren and Ferrari are still neck and neck, 215 to 201.5. Uh Alp Alpine and Alpha Tauri are neck and neck with 95 to 84. Okay. Aston Martin's in a lonely seventh with 59. Williams has 22 in a solid eighth place since Alfa Romeo has three and Haas has zero. And I don't expect that number to change. No, man. It's look, it's young in the season. Okay. We've still got so, a whole. Seven what, races next, to go. What, what's the next race, though, Nick? You're you're so excited about the it's, next race. It's your favorite track. Yeah, it's the it's Istanbul Park, the Turkish Grand Prix. That's the next one. No, no, oh, oh, is it? Is yeah. it? Are you sure? Yeah. Are you sure? They're gonna go to another place in between now and then. Oh, okay. But yeah. 
which so, which one is that though? The, which which one is that? All right, so this is the running joke. If you're not if you're new to F1, is the uh, Russian Grand Prix at the Sochi Autodrome, which is a large flat noodle that someone dropped on the ground, <laughs> made out of asphalt, and um, <laughs> it's flat and cargo vroom. And uh, yeah, that's there you go. Don't don't, ex- don't expect us to be coming back talking about a very exciting race after the Sochi race. However. Um, I'll put Who it to knows? you this way. Spa was more interesting than last year's Sochi. Have, having said that, Circuit Paul Ricard over in France is usually a terrible race, and this year it was a banger. So oh, who knows? Okay. Maybe this race will be spiced up. And do you know who's very good in Sochi? Please tell me it's Maspin. Please. It is one Valtteri Bottas. Uh, d- d- who would have who known? Nikita Maspin, well, shit at his uh, own home country's track. Wow, unbelievable. I to be, I mean, this is his first season in F1. I don't know okay, how he fair. is at Sochi yet because he hasn't raced it yet. Well, they have other races there, don't they? Uh, F2 races and stuff, but who cares? Anyway, Mazepin dumb, who care? Uh, go he, fast, good. Bad driver. Yeah, yeah. Mazepin spin, woo! All right. So, yeah, my hopes for the next race is that we have a points finish for Verstappen and Hamilton. Uh, I'd like to see Verstappen not be kind of sandbagged too hard by his three-place mm-hmm. grid penalty. Uh, so hopefully he's able to make something of that. It'd be interesting. I want to see the McLarens continue their pace uh, that they've brought at you know the Temple of Speed. Yeah. And I want to keep seeing the Ferraris also kind of rising up. And it would be awesome if the pointy end of the stick in F1 uh, going into 22 becomes a four team uh affair instead of what is now a two team affair yeah no that would be super cool um i agree i uh i hope that uh the race is more interesting than it was last year it was incredibly boring last year um but it is it seems to be a wide-ish track so hopefully there's at least a little room for overtaking it's just not interestingly laid out so you know, we'll see. Um, we are actually winding down in this year's season, so uh, plenty of room for surprises still, and uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, as for the next stream, we'll see. Uh, let us know what you think. We've got some questions stacked up, courtesy of Mr. Tex of the Black Pants Legion, who has burning queries with regards to Ooh. automotive racing. So as soon Maybe. as I... Maybe we could do one that's more of a, we could do like an introductory one, just going over some stuff, and then round that one off with a couple of questiones from uh, uh, from the fans. If, if you want to send serious questions in, in between you, now and then. Yeah, because I'm going to tell you what, if, you, uh, if you've been thinking, man, I'd like to send a question in, but maybe some other people should do it first. Uh, the current questions are not going to teach you anything about F1, though they will be entertaining. Uh, so you can go to our website, Anchor FM. Uh, we are a very midfield podcast. You can go to our website and you can submit a voice message. If you're a little skittish about uh, having your voice played over the internet to a whole 12 people, you can always email us. We are a very midfield podcast at gmail.com. That is a very midfield podcast. I'm sorry, not a very midfield podcast, very midfield podcast at gmail.com. This is the pain in the ass with doing a social media account is that 
the same name doesn't fit for everything. So it's very midfield podcast at gmail.com. You can find us a very midfield podcast on Anchor FM. And if you want to yell at us on Twitter, we are a very midfield PC on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> speaking of Twitter, we got some lovely art uh, as our banner art from Miss Alicia West. She was very kind, helped us out, made some great uh, papaya orange. A delightful oh. color of car to have uh, for also, our podcast. Topical. Very topical, much better than the hand scrawled note that I made in paint that said, me bad art, please help. Uh, but yes, please reach out to us, email us. Uh, we want to hear your questions. We want to get you involved. Uh, thank you, as always, for joining us. Colberto, thanks so much for being a fantastic host. Appreciate you always having the, having the knowledge and the facts ready. Uh, pleasure, as always. Hey, it's, it's fun being here and BSing, and hopefully people enjoy listening to it. And if they don't, screw them. We're going to keep doing it. Yep. Stay tuned for the next episode where Danny Ricciardo tattoos a thing onto me and I drink a shoey. All right. Hold me to it. <laughs> See you, gang.